right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and KU owns Missouri. Well, that sucks, Missouri. <laughs> Absolutely dominant performance once again by Kansas. Second straight season that KU has just absolutely smashed Missouri from the word go. They are who we thought they were. (laughs) A bad team that's played a terrible schedule. Yep, fraud alert. Um, Kansas just smashed them. They did. Uh, And both times you played them now the last two years, it was never a game. No, yes. Just from the word go. Just, um, just complete annihilation. And both years, a little similarity. You cap it off with a walk-on nailing a three to just kind of add that extra sprinkle of rubbing it in their face. Um, I mean, definitely even more fair to, to question Missouri's schedule, I think, after seeing that and, and how they did get crushed. Um, but still at the end of the day, maybe the most impressive part about this, this is a nice stretch of, of play for KU yeah. Even if Missouri does end up being like a lower tier Power Five school, you looked really impressive. I mean, like, do you think Missouri has any chance of being a tournament team? Probably not, right? I I, I think they have a chance, but yeah, it's not a high chance. Put it that way. I mean, three of their next four games are Illinois, Arkansas, and Kentucky. Yeah, so actually, we're gonna learn a lot about what they are here. Like, if they yes. even win one of those games, yes, then this doesn't become like a great win, but it becomes a oh, that was it becomes you know, a solid win, yeah, right? an interesting one because right. they're they're. I mean, if Missouri ends up being a and 17 or 18 win team. Yeah. That might have a that that yes. probably puts them on the bubble. Yeah. And so if if you beat a 17 18 win team by, by 30 five points, it's like, uh, okay. But if you win by 30 on the road when it's yes. their best home environment they'll have all season. The only game they're going to care about? Yeah. That's impressive. And like out of No questions uh, about it. Out of comparison, so right now Missouri is 60th on Ken Palm, Seton Hall is 59th, so those teams are like right next to each other. Some other teams in that area to give you an example, uh Kansas State is 54th. Villanova is 52nd. Villanova's bad. But, like, Colorado is 51st. And that's a team who's been very up and down. They're gone 5-5. and They lose the bad teams. They beat good ones. But, like, that Colorado team beat Tennessee. So, the point of me saying that is teams that are in that tier are not really NCAA tournament teams, but they are good enough that they can can sneak up on you. And there was no sneaking up in that game. No. Well, it turns out that our sort of discussion or assessment of the game going into it in our preview was pretty much spot on, which is Missouri wanted to run out and play in transition, and Kansas does that really well. So when you play a team that you want, their strength is your strength, but they are just way better than you, aka Kansas versus Missouri, then this is what happens, right? Yeah. Like Missouri was trying to Missouri was trying to play to their strength, and Kansas is just better in every way. And so they just blew them out because of it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think when, when you look at – it's so early to be talking about, like, 
matchups that you could possibly have in in March Madness. But just in it's terms never of, too early, Derek. It's never no, too I early. guess not. Uh, just in terms of though, over the rest of the season, whether it's in the Big Twelve, whether it is in the NCAA. I mean, tournament. think about it. We're, we're we're four we're four months away. Yeah, basically. That's a, right, long, like, that's a long time. Like March twelfth, that weekend, March eleventh. That's usually like yeah. the final weekend of yeah, conference tournament. Tournaments. Yeah, yeah, but like I, I think that's what you're circling. It's if you play a team who wants to speed it up, or you play a team who plays small. You're probably going to have success. Yeah, you feel good about it. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess the I, – I don't know what I would say the worries are. Like, if you look to the Tennessee game, that was a team with a lot of size. They don't play slow, but they don't play fast either. Duke was a team with a lot of size, and you struggled with it. So maybe it's just teams with lots of size. Like, that's what you're trying to avoid. Um, I think with, teams, teams with, like, one single talented big man are going to be problems. Yeah. So, like, like a Purdue mm-hmm. or a Kentucky. Well, or we even look, like a, I mean, listen, if Kansas ends up being like a two or a two seed, let's say hypothetically, and they run into a seven or a 10 seed in the second round, that is not a very great team, but maybe they do have like a pretty dominant six eleven seven foot guy that, that could be a tough matchup for sure. Yeah. Well, like, as you look around the big 12, for instance, there's not necessarily a ton of those like stud inside big men so no, like for really texas not. dylan disu is a solid big man he's 6'9 225 he's not he's like, kind of a stretch five right you feel pretty good about kj probably in a matchup like yeah. that and, i mean they mostly play like they'll play uh, christian bishop who's a 6'6 six, 6'7 six, six, power forward uh, baylor has more of the traditional centers with like flo thamba but they're more like big guys who are rim rollers they're not guys who are going to like attack you on the post um uh, West Virginia usually has like a traditional big guy, and I think that's what they have this year. A couple six ten guys in there. Uh, Texas Tech Daniel Bacho is kind of six eleven, but they're going to play a lot of minutes of Kevin O'Banner or KJ Allen, who are like six eight and six six at the five position. Um, Oklahoma has Tanner Groves, who is kind of a traditional big man, but he can stretch it, so that can be helpful for for having a versatile big man. Uh, Oklahoma State does have the traditional big man with Musa Cisse. TCU has it with Eddie Lampkin, um, yeah, and then that that's a that's a tough one. Yeah. Iowa State has two six ten guys, including Osarumi, who's really good. And then K State just they have like six nine, six ten guys who are light of weight and not like that super skilled. So um I don't know. It, it's it's fine. But like maybe the bigger thing is tempo. There are two teams that are really slow in the Big Twelve. Texas Tech, Oklahoma is one of the slowest teams in the country. But like there are teams that want to run in the Big Twelve. TCU, Baylor. And I think if you get in those up and down games, you That's like a good thing. you like Kansas's chances, yes, easily. And I think any game where Dewan Harris is not in foul trouble, you feel yeah. pretty good. I, I mean, mean, his value that guy's a stud is it's so incredible what he provides for this team. Yeah, um, that was about as dominant of an offensive outing as you could have. And in regards to Dewan, his stats don't jump off. I mean, nine assists do jump off the page, but scoring six points to go with nine assists when you compare it with Jalen Wilson going for 24 and 10 and Grady Dick making everything and Kevin McCuller going for 20 plus points and KJ Adams dunking a bunch of balls and having 19 points. Like it doesn't stick out as much as what those guys did, but he was, he's just, he's just the puppeteer. He's just orchestrating things where you can't necessarily see him. His, um, yeah, and Bill Self has never wavered in his overwhelming praise of Dewan Harris. And I think that from the outside perspective, there were probably people that didn't 
understand or didn't appreciate that enough. And I do think it's really exciting that so far this season, like people are realizing, okay, Bill Self is right all along. Like this guy, this guy is so good at controlling the game, controlling the flow of the offense. Like he just, he just does all of the little things right. He's obviously a fantastic defender. Is he a guy that's going to go score for you? No, not necessarily. So that he's more of like your true, true traditional point guard. Yeah. Right. And but again, like I said, I, I think there was a, I think there were a lot of people from the outside that that didn't appreciate that enough or that didn't maybe fully understand what all he was doing, right? And it feels like so far this season, he's people are now understanding, wow, okay, this guy is the catalyst for the offense, even though he's not he's not specifically a scorer, but he is still the one driving the train. Yes. Um, yeah, he just orchestrates everything so well. I mean, he got KJ a lot of those easy buckets, which is... Yeah, I don't, even think, I don't even think KJ really did anything particularly special in this I game. Do I do mean, think there is something to the idea of, because we haven't seen any other big man be able to do this, and KJ started to do it the last couple games. At the same point in time, while it's... Sometimes you just see the guy catching the ball, and it's like, oh, he got an easy wide-open dunk. Like, that was all the guy passing it to him. <laughs> There's something about the, the center having to put in the work before the catch of sealing the guy off oh, yeah. and getting in that proper no, There's angle. definitely technique involved in mm-hmm. making sure you're in the right spot at the right time, right? And that just goes back to communication with DeWan Harris and Trust, and they probably practice that stuff. Uh, but I will say, there was a couple sequences in this game where KJ thought he was Allen Iverson. I was like, <laughs> dude, stop dribbling. What are you doing? Literally stop dribbling, please. I mean, it, it was kind of the KJ Adams game, though. I mean... That's fine. You can yeah. be KJ Adams. Just you don't have to dribble. Had three assists. <laughs> yeah, he was. He there were some times where he uh, he thought he was somebody else. Yeah, no, he he was. He played so hard in that that one block he had was probably yeah, the that best. Was good. That that was the play of the game in terms of the combination of just a cool play like, and a big just play, encapsulating and also just like, the rivalry, encapsulating just like. The, Demasculinizing. Emasculation. Made that word up. Emasculation. There we there go. go. Um, yeah, just uh, of Missouri with that yes. play. That's what yep. that was. Yep. Um, so that was fantastic. But yeah, I mean, Dewan set him up a ton with that stuff. And just uh, all the starters, they played really well. But I mean, the defense was good too. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an offense that I understand the level of the competition. But if you're averaging 90 points a game, you obviously have some capability to score, mm-hmm. right? Like, you could be playing anybody out there, and if if you're scoring 90 points a game, that shows you can at least score. You hold them to 40 percent from the field. Uh, that was a big conversation for. They were bad though. Yeah. Oh, they took a lot of bad shots. Well, and, but I do think there's something to the idea because what did we hear from Bill Self after the Seton Hall game and the week leading up? We heard, I'm not basically I'm paraphrasing here, but very unhappy with the ball screen defense. Oh yeah, the fact that they were having to settle for a lot of shots on the perimeter and not getting open off of ball screens tells you that <laughs> KU improved a lot on that, which makes yeah, sense. You had a week they, off they, of practice. Yeah, I'm sure they certainly put a lot of work in there. So that that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, all-around game. You shot well from every area, shared the rock a ton. You had the atmosphere assists. didn't phase anybody. Not at not all. Not even Grady Dick. That's a great sign. He was lights out. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It, Grady loves those moments. I, I yep. think that's very clear. Um, yeah. Jalen Wilson had a great game, even though you didn't – it wasn't like a – Wow, Jalen Wilson! Mm-hmm. Wow, like you look at the stat sheet, he had a great game. Yeah, no, that's that's the sign of like a true All-American. You know what that reminds me of? It reminded me of, of Frank Mason, the year he yes. won 
the year he uh, was national player of the year. Like, it's like, like you'd, you'd oh, be this like, feels like a Devontae game, and you exactly. look up and it's like Frank has eighteen or you, and or, six. Or you know, Frank would hit a late shot, and you'd be like, well, where's that been all yeah. game? And then you realize he has twenty two points, yeah. and you're like, oh, I guess he's been he's just been doing his thing. It's just like so consistent and smooth. It's not like. You know, with like Grady Dick, it's gonna be like very in your face. He's gonna I just flash. Fifteen, right? Yeah. Because I hit these deep threes and I had a run where I scored eight points in two minutes. Yeah. He's right? gonna be, he's gonna be flashing. Jalen, yeah, it's just a it's a methodical way of of going about it, and it's still very effective. And, and honestly, it felt a little bit like that for Kevin McCuller in the game too, um, from different levels. Like he got a lot of his points in transition. He had five steals too. Yeah. Like I, that was about as good as your five starters could play together. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't think. Really, you or I did, but I could I could totally understand if somebody during a stretch early in the season, if people were maybe starting to question Kevin McCall a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Just because he, he, you know, he was, I mean, there was a couple games where he was really struggling with shot selection and, and everything like that. And it's clear that his value, though, is just so significant and he is going to be a very, very major piece of this team if they want to make a deep run. Yes. And his scoring the last two games, like, you don't need it to be. He's averaging 19 a game over the last two. You don't need it to be that high. It'd be great if you did, but um, you need at least significant. Eric, not everybody can average 19. No, no. I mean, I guess they could. No, no. Him. That's what I'm saying. Like you can't expect that to happen, but you do need him to score significant points. Like it can't be what you were talking about early in the season, where it felt like it was like eight or nine points every game. You need him to be scoring 12, 13, maybe 14 a game. But he just does so much. That, that was impressive. I mean, you know. Offensively, like I go back to like Southern Utah, he had a really, really couple rough stretches yeah. of bad shots and just missed shots. So yes, very good to see that he is getting that part of his game. Yeah, because he does everything else so well, and he's the best defender on the team. And remember, and he's er- going to be out there for so much of the time. So you need him to to do the scoring part too. And remember, before the season or leading up to the season, when you talk to the media, it was kind of like a a situation where it seemed like Bill Self was maybe telling him, "Hey, like." You can go be a scorer. Like, don't feel like you need to be a facilitator all the time. You can you can attack. Mm-hmm. Feels like this team's really hitting its stride. I mean, we'll, we'll yeah. really know on Saturday. Uh, Indiana is ranked 14th in the country coming into yep. the field house. They'll, they'll be looking to bounce back. Yeah. after their loss. So if 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 KU wins that, and which, that could be a one point win, right? Which Indiana does have a pretty big, skilled big man. Yes, right? they do. With, with Trace yeah, Jackson that'll be Davis. that'll be a great test there. Um. That would be a great set because, I mean, now your last three games, you have blown out everyone you have played. And, yes, it's not the toughest schedule that you'll have to play this year. But, you know, when you're you're projected to win those two games combined by, like, 13 points and you the last two with Missouri and Seton Hall and you win them by over 50, that can be a good sign of how good you are, too. Yeah. Uh, Rock Chalk Pickahawk recap real quick. Congratulations. You Let's got your go win. On the board. Jalen got you 46. Michael Jankovic. Yeah. Got me three. Grady Dick got you 32. KJ got you 38. You had him for the KJ game. Jankovic got you the three. Yesifu had zero. Cam Martin had negative <laughs> one. I had Kevin McCuller. He got me 42. Dewan got me 30. And then uh, I had MJ Rice. He got me negative one. Ernest Duday got me two. Zuby got me three. Bobby Pettiford got me seven. How did, how did Zuby get three? He had three rebounds, but he also missed a shot and had a turnover. Oh. That's how he ended up with the three. But like he only, it, I mean, he only played like three minutes. I know. That's kind of crazy. He got he's all a that rebounding stuff. madman. That's, that's I don't know. Crazy. He got all those stats. I in know. Three minutes. He just engulfs rebounds, dude. If you combine Zuby Edgefer's per forty rebounds with Michael Jankovic's per forty 
points and shooting, you'd have the greatest player of all time. Maybe, maybe remember that uh, RCL, Remember that uh, mailbag question that was five player, five clones. Should just <laughs> yeah. have five Michael Jankovic's. You never yeah. lose. Make every shot. You would never lose. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we will uh, talk about the Chiefs. Close win, but they won. That on the next uh, after this break. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lesky is going to join the show to catch up on the Royals offseason. In about 15 minutes, we got Sakaya Franklin, KU women's basketball point guard, joining us at 425. They're ranked now. And uh, we still have Case of the Mondays, NFL Monday over reactions. Should be ranked higher. Yeah. And our uh, whatever we decided on the name, goals of KU football past, something like that. Blast from the. Bowl games have passed. Sure, whatever the, it is. The ghosts of KU bowl games passed. We get on to the 1969 Orange Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs took down the Denver Broncos yesterday. Very weird game. A uh, full yeah. implosion mode was barely evaded. They go up 27-0. They kind of blow it at the end of half in ways that you're not accustomed to. Like, this wasn't the Colts game where you're dropping punts. This was Patrick Mahomes throwing weird interceptions or bad interceptions. And all of a sudden, the Broncos' offense, which has been dormant all season long, woke up with Russell Wilson. And they got it to 27-21. They had it at 34-28. They had a chance with the football. They had the ball. ball. Yeah. Yep. Chance yep. to take the lead. Um, this is just classic Chiefs. I mean, nothing, nothing, everything has to be difficult for these clowns. Everything. Nothing can be easy. <laughs> no, when it, when it was 27 nothing. nothing, it was like, oh, great. This is perfect. No, I knew. I knew. You knew? I knew. I knew something was going to happen. <laughs> Well, listen, I thought this was going to be like a 16-10 to 10 stressful type game. That's what I thought. I did not think it was going to be a 34-28. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I, thought I thought it was going to be like the Chiefs would have like 500 yards, but they turned over in the red zone, and they and Andy would kick a bunch of fourth-and-one field goals, and the Broncos' offense would have like two first downs, but they'd somehow get a touchdown late, and it'd be 16-10. to 10. That's what I was expecting. This goes back to the idea they just need to be down 10. 100%. Yes. No, I've, I've said it. I'll say it as to anybody who will hear. I want the Chiefs to be losing in every game they play. I would rather watch the Chiefs be losing than mm-hmm. then have a big lead. Well, think about it. every single bad moment that has happened this season, right? Against the Colts, the Chris Jones, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Not unsportsmanlike, unsportsmanlike conduct. Penalty yelling at Matt may Ryan. not have been a That's penalty. when they were winning. Does yes. that happen when they're losing? Probably not. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we just say no for the sake of this okay, argument. Okay, yes, no. Um, Who's the next loss? The Bills? There was a couple bad calls in the Bills game, too. I, think. I don't remember that one enough. Uh, depleted from evidence. Don't worry about it. Um, the Bengals game. They're up with the ball. Chance to yep. put it away. Correct. Travis Kelsey fumbles. No, yes, 100%. Listen, you're preaching to the choir here. Mm. I want the Chiefs to lose. Or here, here, actually, I mean, that's two bits here, of evidence. I don't here, need any more. Here's what I would prefer. What I would prefer is that we just start every Chiefs game with the Chiefs down 10 nothing. <laughs> just give the other team 10 points. I don't care. Give it to them. Mm-hmm. Literally give them 10 points. The Chiefs, on their Super Bowl run in 2019, in 2020, every playoff game, they were down by at least 10 at one point. Every game. Every single game. Yeah, they're not what doing happened? it enough. And what happened? They won. So I just need the Chiefs to just be losing by 10, and they're going to win. Oh, the evidence is there. I Everything has to be difficult with these clowns. I get Everything. so frustrated sometimes with... with Chiefs games with Andy Reid because he is he's such a good coach he's such a good play caller I mean the 
the resume and the, the history of him constantly getting teams to meld together and, you know, to, to get the right game plans out there and, and, I don't know, just to put everything together and have good coaching staffs in it. It's there. Like, he is, he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. He's yes. a Hall of Famer, right? Probably in history, it's yes. Undoubtable. But what is up with that? I'm, like, making up all sorts of words today. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, like, there are times when it's it's so frustrating because you have all that, and you, you know he is such a great coach, but he just can't get out of his own way. Like, what you said with, with kicking fourth and one field goals, we didn't quite get that, but we did get two field goals on fourth and threes. And then we got the uh, – they had a fourth and one. When they were up by six with the ball, they ended up punting. They, they made a stop and, and got the ball back. Um, but, like, you had options to be aggressive on fourth downs. And the one that bugged me the most, which I don't understand, why did they not go for two after scoring the touchdown to make it, at the time, 33-21? PAT made it 34-21. Why? why? What do you mean, why? What, what do you mean, why? Why? Well, I mean, I, they, I don't know. Does that Why really, would they not go for two? Why would they does, not go for does two? Does that do much for you? Yes, it does, dude. Make it a 14-point game. Versus a 13-point game? Yes. It's well, the Broncos weren't going to score two tuds anyways. They almost did. <laughs> you realize if the Broncos would have scored a touchdown on the final drive and kicked the PAT, this <laughs> would be a bigger conversation, right? I, I guess. So I don't know. Pro- I guess We like, shouldn't base the process I on guess the results. Real time, I, I, I guess real time, I just I didn't really consider that to be a big deal. Well, then you you go to jail with Andy Reid. Am I the problem? Game management, jail. Am I am I the problem? You and Andy Reid. I don't know. I just didn't think... I don't know. Because, that, again... That didn't really cross my mind, truly. Okay, but again, like being if, something that if they scored another touchdown and kicked the PAT, they would have won 35-34. No, and Harrison Butker would have made a 66-yarder to win the game, <laughs> okay. 37-35. So you're comfortable letting Harrison Butker kick a 66-yarder. Clearly, Andy Reid is. But you're not comfortable letting Patrick Mahomes go for two. No, I'm saying... No, I I am. Okay. I'm just saying that's what would have happened. But that's yeah, that, that's a weird game for Mahomes because those interceptions, that wasn't just like... Like, a lot of times his interceptions are like, Oh, he's maybe he did a little too much, or maybe it tipped off the receiver's well, hands on a couple of them. I or think, he's like he's like trying to he's he's making a calculated risk where he's like, yeah, you know, this might get picked, but it's worth the risk, right? Well, I think on a couple of them, or I think on one of them that he threw to Josie Jewell, he was trying like to no look, sort of. That could be towards Travis Kelsey. I think he said the one that uh, Sertan picked, where he barely got his hand under it. Yeah, I mean that's just a great defensive. That play. one he said he was like trying to th- basically throw into the ground because he didn't see it open. Um, and he just made a great play. That, yeah, that was a good defensive. Yeah, play. but the other two, yeah, it was weird because it bad. was like he got fooled almost, yep. right? He yep. didn't see the guy, and that that like never happens for Patrick Mahomes. So that was certainly odd. But then there are but other obviously moments. He was also God on yes. the field. There are other moments where you just like run out of words to describe him. The, yes. the shovel. I don't even I mean, know. He was like walking on pitch. He was like walking on water out there. Yes. for some of those plays. That one, and then the the touchdown to was it Juju in the back of the end zone. Yep. Just unbelievable, dude. You just you just run out of things to say yeah. about Play, him. Plays that nobody else makes or even attempts to make. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not even like Mahomes is doing is making plays that like other quarterbacks try to make and fail. Right? Like this dude is doing things that nobody else is even trying <laughs> to attempt, and then he's succeeding on top of that. Right? Like yeah. that's the that's the most biggest mind blowing part of this is like other quarterbacks, other guys that are top five, top ten, whatever, in the league at their position are not even attempting to try the same things that Mahomes does and does with incredible success. Yeah. 
No, like, isn't wild. that crazy? Isn't that crazy? It's like whatever workforce you're in, like whatever thing you're in, and you have a group of like the five greatest of that thing, but then there's one guy that is able to attempt and do things that the other four guys can't do. Like, how do you even explain that? Yeah. No, it's 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 unbelievable. Um, by the way, Isaiah Pacheco is like he's not just like good; he's really good. He, he's solid. He, he, he's this solid. is his last five games. 70 rushing yards, 66, 69, 107, 82. Yeah, he's 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 doing And a lot of that is doing on, good work. You know, four of those five are on 16 or less carries in a game. He's really and, and Jet McKinnon, obviously awesome in the screen game. Yep. Um I I'm almost afraid of Clyde Edwards Alaire coming back. Like that, I don't want him taking gonna, touches from either of those two try players. Try to play him? Yes. Well, they they might, honestly. I, know, I don't love that. Well, you know what else is going to happen? I don't know if you saw this. Damian Williams just got released from the Falcons. Okay, they're they're going to scoop him up. That's the Chiefs. What, that's what the Chiefs do. They scoop up. No, they have Ronald. They have Ronald Jones and Melvin Gordon. They're, that's what they and do. And Melvin they, Gordon. Yeah, exactly. They scoop up. You know, why do we need McCoy eight running going. backs? I'm not saying they need them. Why that's do we it. need eight running backs? I'm just telling you what's going to happen. I don't know why it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The Chiefs do not need eight running backs. <laughs> I agree, but it's going to okay. happen. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> Listen. Trey Smith is awesome. He is. That dude just absolutely yeah. annihilates people. I oh, mean, yeah. like, yeah, Creed Humphrey the next just universe. tweeted out a picture from, you know, Anchorman, he, Ron Burgundy. He's like, oh, I saw that. Brick killed a guy. <laughs> Except he covered the brick part and wrote Trey. Yeah. And Creed on the, Humphrey on that tweeted watching game to, film with the O line every yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, to McKinnon. Mm-hmm. On the screen pass that McKinnon scored a touchdown. Yeah. That poor defensive back for Denver. That dude got launched to the moon. Yeah, he got then, he got literally there was a murder. The one where he just on does it with like his one hand and just knocks the guy to the unbelievable. He's so much fun. Yeah. Are you worried about the Chiefs defense? He no. had twenty eight points to the Broncos after a bad week against the Bengals. No, I'm not worried. No. Okay, here's the deal. And listen, uh, this this I might be pushing back too hard on this, but here's what I'm going to say. I think. The defense is going to be fine, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to overreact to the scoreboard and say, the Broncos averaged seven points a game. Why did the defense give up 28? Blah, blah, blah. The defense must suck. I don't. I think that's way too far. I think the defense will probably be fine because the 14 points that the Broncos scored at the end of the at the end of the first half, one of them was gifted on a touch on the interception from Mahomes. Broncos only had to go 42 yards. The other one, they did go 60 yards in under a minute. That one was pretty bad. And then in the second half, the Broncos didn't really do anything. They only had two sustained drives. They, they got touchdowns on both of them to get to 28. But prior to those interceptions by Mahomes, the Broncos had 30 yards. 30. And you got a pick six from Willie Gay. 30 yards. And you had, what, six sacks over the course of the game? They had six sacks in the game, yes. Yeah, for, I'm not for overly 20, For 25 minutes of game, the Broncos had 30 yards. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's good. And... I literally, and you, you you got mad at me when I said this last week. I said, listen, Russell Wilson sucks. Yes. But he could still put it together randomly, and he did. Yeah, he, he literally did. did. He did. He, he did. Until he got the concussion. Big welt on his head. Yeah. All right, he is uh, Nick Chiefs, Springer. Chiefs defense is fine. I'm Derek Johnson. Fine. David Lesky, Inside the Crown, joins us next. Fine. This is RCST. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by David Lesky 
of Inside the Crown here in just a moment. The Royals have uh, not really done much so far in the offseason. Haven't, I don't believe, made any moves of people who were not on the roster before coming onto it, but they do have some coaching changes and certainly a lot of offseason left to uh, try to go out there and make some moves. So we're joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. I guess we'll start with this, David. A new pitching coach in tow for the Royals, one Brian Sweeney, who comes over from Cleveland, who has an outstanding reputation in developing pitchers. How would you grade this hire? Charge. Um, but I think it's a great hire. I I mean, I, I, when I was doing some research, I wrote that article back in, I guess it was like the day after they fired Nathaniel and Eldred about pitching coach candidates. And I, I, I did some, cur- I talked to some people, did some cursory research, just enough to know enough to say, hey, this guy should be on the list, this guy shouldn't. And he was on my list. Um, and then I went back and did more. And I, and I found there were, I, I don't remember the exact number, I think it was like 17 or 18 different articles that referred to Brian Sweeney as a guru. Um, which in some ways I'm like, eh, is that concerning? The, the, are people building him up more than they should? But also he's obviously very well regarded. Um, and that's, that's important. I think he's, he's done a really nice job with being part of the monster that is the Cleveland pitching development at the big league level. I think that one of the things they do really well is they develop in the minors exceptionally well, but I think this goes back to something we've talked about quite a bit. The big leagues are a finishing school. This is not, you don't come to the major leagues 100% the finished product. I mean, you're never really a finished product, but you know what I mean. It, 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 it takes some time once you get to the big league level to adjust, and the Guardians are probably, I don't know if they're the best or third best or fourth best, but I mean, they're top five in terms of continuing the development at the big league level. And so Getting the guy who has been a big part of that for that organization, I think, is just huge, and, and it makes makes all the sense in the world. And hopefully, can be a a huge help to the young starters who haven't quite gotten over that hump yet. Could you argue this is a bigger deal than the managerial hire because of those struggles in past years with the pitchers? Um, I, I think it, it, it's kind of difficult to answer that because, yes, in a in a very basic sense, absolutely. I think the pitching coach was always more important than the manager. Um, but I also don't know that they get the right pitching coach without the right manager, if that makes sense. So, you know, if they had gone and hired, I don't even, I'm, I'm just I'm throwing, Ron Gardenhire. I don't know, it's a terrible <laughs> example, but whatever. If they had hired him, does Brian Sweeney want to work for the Royals? I don't know. I think getting Matt Quattrero and, and having that guy who has embraced analytics and, and in an organization like the Rays, I think that really does help. Um, so I, I think it kind of all works in tandem. But, yeah, I think, like I said, in a very point-blank picture, yes, the pitching coach for this organization at this particular time might be more important than the manager. Well, uh, some player news over the last couple weeks since we last talked to you. There hasn't really been anything externally, but we do have some internal stuff. I guess, I don't know. I don't know how to say this nicely. Uh, why is Ryan O'Hearn still a Royal? I assume he has pictures of somebody. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't. I, I, the real answer is, is well, I don't agree with it. Um, but the real answer is I think the Royals look at his results without the shift and 
for the price he will cost are curious to see how it shakes out. Um, I think they believe that he is a an above average offensive player without the shift. I the numbers show he is, so I guess that's fair in some ways. I mean, he had a I don't remember the exact numbers, but he had a um, 400 plus weighted on base average in 2021 when the shift wasn't on, and it was 330 something last year. League average is like 312, so I guess that's fair. Um, at the same time, he only plays first base. I guess he can stand on the outfield as well as anybody. I mean, he doesn't move very well. But he can stand there. Um, I don't. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense for this roster. But the answer is their answer is because I think because they believe that the shift hurt him more than others, and they think that a bench bat with who can be above average is worth something. I think they're right. If he played more than first base. Um, but he doesn't, so I think they're wrong. But that, that, that's the why. Well, okay, so this actually brings up a, a wider conversation that I'm, I'm curious your take on in baseball. Obviously, the shift being banned for this upcoming year. Do I, I guess I'll just... I, I feel like the sh- this is not going to lead to much of a difference because, in my opinion, what is going to happen okay. is teams are just going to put the guy as close to second base as he can and then after when the pitch is thrown he'll just sprint to the other side you can still move the players around on that side of the field and if you really wanted to you could just move one of your outfielders to basically being on the fringe of the grass like it was that third infielder over there and just play a two-man outfield Uh, in addition to having kind of the motion side of it I, i know there was a study baseball america looked at uh, how it's possibly affected things in the minor leagues when they've been using it, and it was like no noticeable difference in batting average. Do you actually think this is going to lead to a big difference? In, in general, no. In Ryan O'Hearn, no. Um, in some <laughs> players, yes. Because the the one the one spot that I think will make a difference is the second baseman in short right field, um, which is the one thing I dislike about the shift, honestly. Um because you're right, they can move an outfielder out there and kind of go with a two-and-a-half-man outfield. The problem is I don't think the risk is worth the reward on that because, look, everybody's throwing 98. So if you're behind a pitch and you moved your left field or you moved everybody around, whatever it is, and there's nobody sitting in left field, and MJ Melendez is late on a ball, that's inside the park home run. And I just don't think, you know, right now, if he beats the shift, it's a single. If he beats the shift with no left fielder, it's at least a triple. So I don't think that the risk is worth the reward there on that. Some teams will do it. They'll get burned on it and won't do it again probably, but they'll try it. Um, But I think that's where you're going to find the most benefit for hitters. As a whole, I don't know, does it add a hit a month? I mean, two hits a month, which isn't nothing, but also it's pretty light. Um, I don't think it will make as big of a difference as the other two big rule changes, but that's part of the problem with the unknown is it still could. It could be wrong. I mean, we don't, we don't know. We don't have the data. We have minor league data, which they don't hit the ball as hard. The pitchers don't put the ball in the same spot. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables that don't work in the majors that work in the minors. So I think it's possible that the data we have from the minors is slightly off from what it will be. I just don't see it making a huge difference for the vast majority of left-handed hitters. Well, Adalberto Mondesi back in the fold as as well. What are your expectations for his role, where he's going to play, and and what we could actually see from him this year? 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he he's another guy who it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, in some ways, yeah, he's cheap for potential, but also this is the same conversation we had last year. He has shown us who he is. He has told us year after year that he will get hurt at well while posting a sub three hundred on base percentage, and he will likely have two weeks where he looks like the best player in baseball, if he's healthy enough to, to last that long. Um, that's who he is. He's a good defender at shortstop. He's fast, and the, the he's, he's a guy who I think the bases will help quite a bit. Those extra, that extra four and a half inches um, sounds like very little, but he if, if he can stay healthy, he could steal 75 bases with that, I think, whereas before, I think, I think it probably adds 15 to 20 steals for him, which he runs a lot. If that seems ridiculous, I don't think it is. Um, the problem is, where does he play? They want Bobby Witt Jr. at shortstop. Well, that's Monty's best position. They don't have a third baseman, so I, I could see that. I think that, as it stands right now, Alabama Monty is your opening day third baseman. I think that's the plan. They won't say it out loud, but I think that's the plan. Um, I wonder a little bit. There are a handful of teams looking for a shortstop, and there are two big names left. And then it gets to Jose Iglesias, Elvis Andrus, um, a bunch of guys who you don't want. <laughs> I, I, I wonder a little bit, and I'm actually going to write something up probably for tomorrow about some veterans who could find new homes. I, I think Mondesi, I don't anticipate them doing it, but he could be a nice trade piece for a team that misses out on the shortstops. Think the Braves. Think about that. Right now they have Von Grissom penciled in his shortstop because they don't have Danzby Swanson back. I don't think they're going after Carlos Correa. So if they don't get Swanson, I don't know. I, I think there are worse things they can do than trade for a $3 million shortstop when they have depth to cover his injury. So I could see that happening too for him. I, I think there are a handful of possibilities for Monty. When do you think we will actually see the first Royals move externally? Um, let's see. If it doesn't happen in the next week and a half, things kind of slow down over that week of Christmas. So, um, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say we see them sign somebody to a very small one-year deal on Friday morning. Okay. But I don't think I don't feel good about that. <laughs> so do you think it's it's more likely then that their first move is a free agent pickup than a trade? Yeah, well, I don't know if it's more likely or not, but I, I think it just seems easier um, from what I have heard. And, and the Sean Murphy trade just happened um, like an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of shows where the trade market is. That was a – I don't know what the A's are doing, to be completely honest. <laughs> I mean – that was a rough trade, and, and, and J.J. Piccolo has said that the market hasn't really developed the way they thought it would on the trade side. He's been pretty honest, so I don't see a reason to think that he's just recording something. I, I think that the trade market's a little bit odd right now. I think it picks up a little bit later once the free agent carousel has kind of ended. So I, I think the free agents are more likely just because it's, it's just money. Um, but, look, trades come together very quickly, especially when they've been talking about them for months, which or at least a month. Um, so it's possible. I would just, I would guess free agents though. Do you think part of the reason it's been so slow to this point is that obviously there have been a lot of large contracts played out, not that the Royals were in on like Aaron judge or Trey Turner, but, um, 
clearly we've seen the market almost feel like it's kind of being reset this offseason with a lot yeah. of big contracts, even to guys like like a Taiwan Walker getting four years, $72 million. Do you think that's had a big part in, in the Royals maybe not really being super involved so far? I think it has because, you know, Walker is a guy who I thought they'd target. I thought Walker was somebody who, hey, we're going to go out and give this guy three years and $39 million and going to feel good about that. Give Zach Eflin two years and $20 million. Well, Eflin got three years and $40 million. Walker got, like you said, four and 72. I mean, everybody has been a year longer and like 20 million more, 25 million more. I mean, depending on the, on the deal, the length of the deal, it, it's been, it's been a little bit crazy. And I think the Royals, for all of the disdain people have had for their offseason, I, I give them a little credit for being honest with where they are, which they haven't. They haven't been honest with where they are in the Dayton Moore era. They just haven't. Dayton Moore every single year, except for 18 and 19, I feel like. Every year, it's, oh, we're on the cusp of competing. We're on the cusp of competing. We're ready to compete, whatever. And they never were, except for a few years, in the obviously, in the World Series seasons. Um, and, and I think J.J. Piccolo, has, to his credit, I think he deserves more credit for this, has basically said, look, this is not a team that can compete. It's because of past mistakes and He's responsible for some of those for sure, but you can't change the past. And so I think he's looked at the market and said, look, this is a silly market to be involved in. It doesn't make sense. And, and I think that they've kind of sat out because of that. And, you, you know, you look at a deal like Sean Mania for 2 and 25. You know, that's one that maybe they should have been in on. But signing with the Giants is different than signing with the Royals <laughs> for a pitcher. So, you know, maybe, maybe that deal – Maybe Sean Mania signs with the Giants for two and twenty-five, but he told the Royals it'd be three and forty, three and forty-five, and that then that's not worth it. So they're dealing with a bad team tax on top of all that. I just I think that's a big part of why. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, I I saw a piece from Ken Rosenthal. I don't know a couple weeks ago that he wrote about Salvador Perez's closeness to the new White Sox manager Pedro Grafal, and to where it stands to reason that they could ask about Salvador Perez, even if, you know, there's not really a chance they would trade him, let alone in the division. Would you put, what percentage would you put that would happen, that Salvador Perez would wind up a White Sox? White Sox? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd never say zero because that sets you up to look really stupid. <laughs> um, but zero point, I don't know, 14 zeros and then a 1%. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem, I guess, like I said, anything is possible. As soon as I say no, he's going to get traded, and then <laughs> I'm going to get flamed on social media. But um, I, I just I can't really imagine a world where the Royals let Salvador Perez come to town as a visitor. What do they play six times a year now on the new schedule? Whatever it is, multiple trips into Kansas City wearing a White Sox uniform. I just even if the right package was there, which by the way the White Sox don't have the right package because their their organization's not in great shape. Um, even packages there, I just don't see that happening. We're talking about David Lesky. Uh, before we let you go, I think this is the first time we've had you on since the John Sherman letter about the downtown stadium. What do you make of all yeah. that, and do you like it? Well, I mean, they've pretty clearly decided what they're going to do. So that, that that's the one thing. That's that's the big thing. They're they're moving. Um, we all knew that. I don't, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but um, do I like it? That's a really good question. I don't know. I, I don't really know the answer to that. I think 
I think it has potential to be pretty cool. I think it has potential to be a move that reinvigorates the market, a move that just works. Um, it depends on the location. It depends on the stadium design. It depends on a lot of different things. Um, ultimately, this move is to make the Royals money. And, and I said this back when John Sherman became the owner. I think we probably talked about this. He will move the team wherever it is most profitable. I don't think they're leaving Kansas City, so don't, there's no worry about that. But if if they found out that, oh, going to 135th and Metcalf is the most profitable stadium location, then the Royals will play at 135th and Metcalf. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. And it, and it turns out downtown, wherever they are, is the most profitable location. So that's the plan. Um, here's the thing. I, I guess I, uh, the big caveat, if if the money they make from it turns the Royals into a high enough spending team to cover mistakes, then I love the move. <laughs> if, if that revenue allows them to put a competitive team on the field seven out of ten years, I mean, I wish ten out of ten, but let's be, I'll be realistic here. They're, they're a lower revenue team. If that allows them to do that seven out of ten years, then it's a great move. If it doesn't, then what's the point? He is David Lesky. You can check out all his work inside the crown. David, appreciate coming on, and uh, congrats on the new baby. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, uh, looking forward to talking again soon with a little more sleep under my belt. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work. He's a hardworking man, new parent, deserves the clicks. And uh, just subscribe to his Substack. goes right into your email. Easy to find everything inside the crown. That's uh, the first hour of the show. We got two hours to go. We got Case of the Mondays. Coming up at 4.05, we still got Takai Franklin, KU Women's Basketball, joining us a little bit after that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. I'm going to just calm down. Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. You know who's having the real case of the Mondays today? Who's that? Missouri fans. Oh, that sucks, Missouri. <laughs> oh, you guys had your first ever real big home game in forever? <laughs> oh, you got lost by 30? Oh, that sucks. And never a game to where it was never like... Never a game? It was like never entertaining. If you if you came to the game, you know, spent all this money on tickets, you never really had like a Oh, reason. Norm Stewart? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That was great. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence, has you covered. Okay, case of the Mondays. Texas basketball having a big-time case of the Mondays today. Yeah, this is some a wild, wild story. So first of all, they lost over the weekend to Illinois. They did. When they were, they were not pretty good. One. Yeah. Yeah, so they yeah, if they would have won. Well, no, they Illinois been, got smoked by Penn State though. Yeah, which is Illinois has been the team who like 
they beat the good teams and then they lose to like weird. Although Penn State low <laughs> Penn key State might actually be good. Yeah, yeah, Penn State might actually end up being like they beat somebody else good. on Saturday. I can't remember who. Uh, that was pretty good too. Yeah. Nonetheless, lost to Illinois. Would have been ranked number one today because Houston had lost, so that didn't happen. Uh, Kamaka Hepa, who was a former Texas player, transferred this past year, went to Hawaii. He had 30 points, 14 rebounds the other day. So, you know, double reason. But the main reason why they arrive on Case of the Mondays, Chris Beard was arrested. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting story that details are kind of still coming out. And, like, I mean, depending on how serious it sounds like it could be, I mean, I think we're looking at, what, this has got to be a suspension probably, a fine, I mean, I mean, worst case scenario, they got to get rid of him. Yeah, we'll we'll see how, like you said. So this is this is the full story. This is from uh, Myron Medcalf and Jeff Barzello on ESPN. I don't know if they're the ones that, that scooped it, but I'm just reading their story. Um, Beard was arrested by police in Austin and booked at 4:18 a.m. on a third degree charge of quote assault of a family household member, impede breath circulation, or strangulation. He was released from the Travis County Jail at 2.44 p.m. after posting a cash bond. His bail had been set at $10,000. Now, the fact that the bail is $10,000 and not something like $100,000 probably tells you that this isn't, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell with stuff like this, right? I mean, if it's yeah. if it's a domestic violence thing, then it's hard to like defend that. But um, Beard's attorney, Perry Minton, told the Austin American Statesman, the beard, quote, is 100% innocent of these charges. He should have never been arrested. The complainant wants him released immediately and all charges dismissed. It is truly inconceivable. Okay. So, I mean, based on that, but it said Austin police told ESPN they received a, quote, disturbance hotshot call and officers were dispatched to the 1900 block of Vista Lane shortly after midnight on Monday. The Austin Police Department's website defines a hotshot call as, quote, incidents which are in progress are an immediate threat to life and or public safety. These calls are dispatched immediately. So, again, we, we yeah. don't know all the details. We don't know how this is going to play out. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It could be something where it's bad enough where he goes to jail and gets fired, obviously. Or it could be something where they're like, no, it's not that big of a deal here. You're serving a two-game suspension. I don't know. I don't know either. But either way, not great. For Texas basketball. Yeah, bad for Texas basketball. Yes. For sure, yeah. Case of the Mondays, underbetters. Man, underbetters are having a tough time. Yeah. All year long, it's Listen, the unders won you money, but not After we finished weekend. the show on Friday, what did I tell you? I said bet the over in UIW and, and in, kind of, in kind of where it's at in Sacramento State. It was there in what? And you had quarter? a parlay and you were like, well, I don't know. Should I put 78 on there? Man, you should have gone whatever the alternate. I should have. 100. What, I don't even, whatever the highest number you could have gotten. Yeah, it ended up being what, 130, 131? One, 129. It was a basketball, score. Was a basketball 66 score. to 63. Unbelievable. That was such a fun game, just back and forth, all offense. It was great. Yep. UIW um, got the win. I mean, that, the that, on its own. That, that scored enough points for everyone. But the the safest space for underbetters <laughs> has always been the Army Navy game. Yeah. It was 32 and a half, and I think the last time it hit was what? Well, it, was, it 20... hit the last 14 years. So just okay, do the math so there. 2000, like 2008 or something? 2007. Or 2007, yeah. So it's 14 and 0 the last 14, the under in that game. No longer the over hit in the Army Navy game. But does it count because it went to it overtime? It took a miracle or to get it. Double overtime, right? Yeah, it took a miracle to get it. 
It really did. It, yeah, it did. It, it was 10 to 10 at the end of regulation. It was 7 to 3 <laughs> in the fourth quarter, I think. Yeah. The late third quarter. Oh, man. That was unfortunate. Yeah. A, a brutal one. A brutal one front of it. Yeah, I view this but as also, like, listen. Good process, wrong. My about. personal opinion. This is just my personal opinion. I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking for anybody but myself here. If you're an underbetter, you're a villain. Mm. Overbetters are the way to go, man. You you want to root for success. Root I want points. I want to root for money. I want I want to no, win money. I, this that is my. That's why you lose money philosophy. on the overs. Is if you bet the under, you're just you're just betting against fun. And then you have more money. But against fun, so you're a fun hater. It's like uh, the people who short stocks for a living. They're like sure, whatever for a bit. You don't know what that means. They're no, like, I know what that is. It's okay. where you like uh, stocks. Yeah. You buy stocks and then they crash and then you yeah. whatever or you make money. So basically, they're rooting for the business to fail. Correct. That's yeah. like no, the underbetter. Yes. We're rooting yes. for this to fail. You're rooting for you're rooting but, for anti-fun. Yeah. So on one hand, you could be like, well, we're realists. We understand like, this is going to fail. Is more so I'm not exciting. Make money off it. Nothing is more exciting than being an overbetter and rooting for points. Nothing. I don't think. Unless the game is just crap, and then you're <laughs> like, I'm never going to hit the over. Do well, that's part of the that's part of the joy. Okay. Case of Mondays for people who say the U.S. can never be good at soccer. Like, sure, maybe we can never be Brazil or yeah. Portugal or France even, or something, oh, right? Even Brazil and Portugal, they both lost. Yeah, but there is no excuse why the U.S. Like, okay, sure, maybe we never have a Messi or Ronaldo. Why can't the U.S. at least be Morocco? Yeah. No, like, that's an interesting story. I like, mean, okay, Morocco is is they're good. the first. I think they're the first African, African nation, nation to yeah. make it to the semifinals, right? Yeah, it's yeah. an awesome story. And again, they have really good players. They have a bunch of players on their team who are playing at like the oh, European yeah. levels and yeah. the Premier League and Bundesliga and all, all the other big leagues and Spain, wherever. So sure. like they yeah. are a very good team. But this is not a team that has that like one superstar or near it. Well, let's just put it this way: I, I don't think anybody was predicting Morocco. To no, make the the round of sixteen, the quarterfinals, let alone the semifinals. So why can't the U.S. again? How sustainable would this be? Like, is Morocco going to do this again next year? No, probably not. But why can't the U.S. Well, have a run they, where they do make a semifinal, a quarterfinal? There's no excuses. Oh, no I excuses. agree. Listen, I'm telling you. To me, this this World Cup was the best outcome for U.S. soccer. Okay, they did exactly what people expect them to do. Right? They made it out of the group. They got into the round. Of, they got into the knockout stage. They lost the Netherlands, but that's going to set them up to make their run to glory when the U.S. is hosting. You did, the, the last thing you wanted for U.S. soccer was for them to to do way overperform expectations, have a <laughs> crazy deep run this this World Cup. What you wanted them to do this World Cup was exactly what they did, which is they didn't underperform. Nobody could say that they underperformed, right? They pretty much got to where most people thought they were going to get to, to the round of 16. And they got knocked out. Great. Because now you're setting yourselves up for the all-time movie-like story <laughs> run of winning the World Cup in 2026 on your home soil. Boom. Perfect. 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 Best case scenario for U.S. soccer. Case of the Mondays, the NFL for, or I don't know if this would be an NBC thing. Uh, for whoever, Oh, yeah, I guess NBC. Or whoever whoever makes those decided decisions. to, I think it would be NBC. NBC okay. for, for flexing the Chiefs-Broncos <laughs> game out of Sunday night because we actually got a great game. Exactly. Think about this for a second. Yeah, it was 27 to 0. So you're like, oh, dude, terrible decision. But then the Chiefs Broncos game ended up being one of the better games yeah. of the whole slate. And they flexed it out. They did not, you know who did not have faith in Russell Wilson? The NFL and NBC. Shame on them. Because you know who did have faith in Russell Wilson? 
Me. I sat, I sat here in this chair on Friday and said, Russell Wilson could potentially have a good game. And everyone was like, well, dude, this guy has more this guy has more toilets than touchdowns. <laughs> How's he going to have a good game? He had a great game. And if Russell Wilson doesn't get concussed, the Broncos might win. Who I mean, knows? I, I think for sure that was a better game than the, the Chargers-Dolphins one, which ended up being the Sunday night, right? 100%, yes. So shame on the NFL and shame on NBC. And they're definitely having a case of money. But, okay, I think the counterpoint to this, though, would be because the game got up to 27 nothing. like, what if, hypothetically, if the game was still on Sunday night, when it's 27 nothing with six minutes left or five minutes left in the second quarter and the Chiefs get the ball back up 27 nothing in the second quarter, what percentage of people do you think turn off their TVs at that point? Um, I don't know a percent, but it's a good amount. It's so, a good amount so for sure. It might actually still end up being a good thing because those people may not have come back yeah. when the game did get good. Very so true. Your, your viewership may still not have been that good. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question because I think a lot of people, though, would also have seen like on their score app or like somebody texted them or on Twitter like, hey, that's true. No, people would have turned, turned back in for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that ended up being a good game. It was high scoring. Yep. It had the interest yep. of Patrick Holmes making crazy plays. Yep. Instead, you got Tua, Instead you got Tua starting two for 11 throwing and the football. And Justin Herbert playing well so that people think he's good again. I know, dude. They it's yep. the cycle that never yep. ends. They think he's he makes good again. a couple incredible <laughs> throws on a primetime game, which that one throw was absolutely incredible. Where he's rolling he's, right, throws back left. People think he's good again, again. Yes, and everybody's like, oh, I'm telling you, this guy's the most talented quarterback in the NFL. If you put him with everybody else, blah, 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 Patrick blah, Holmes, blah, blah, blah. Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. Yeah. He's right there, folks. Stop it. He's right there. And then next week when they're playing, like, I who are know, they playing? Probably someone bad, and he's going to throw for 225 yards. With one Lots touchdown, one interception, Chargers. and nobody's going to be watching it. They're playing the Titans. Perfect. Perfect. They'll have a bad game. <laughs> They'll lose to the Titans 17-13. to 13. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. Uh, case of the Mondays. Oh, man, that's funny. Big 12 officials who have to figure out the new league sports format. Because, you know, yeah, now, this is wild. I mean, you did all this planning to figure out, hey, this is what we're going to do for next season with scheduling of football, with scheduling of basketball, all the sports. Well, now you're going to have to do that all over again in another year, most likely. Brett McMurphy reporting, there's growing sentiment and momentum for OU and Texas to leave the Big 12 early and join the SEC in 2024. There still remains obstacles for it to occur, but the climate is right and decision okay. could be reached in the next month. So here's what I think. It's great that they want to leave early. Yes. That's fantastic news. But only if they're going to pay the bajillion dollars they need to pay. I if think they're they not going to pay, then screw them. No, I think they have to. I, I'm sure part of like, the literally discussion screw them. is they'll pay a, a buyout where it won't be the full amount, but it'll... The Big 12 should either say, you're in contract jail. You can't get out unless you pay. And if you don't pay, then you're just going to have to suck it up and be in the Big 12 and be mad about it. Yeah. No, I, the, I, I, I like I, this. I just... I, I... Like, what... I, I don't... I guess I don't understand what angle OU and Texas have here, like in terms of the in terms of whatever the the discussions that need to be had. The discussion that needs to be had is pay your sixty bajillion dollars or whatever, and you can leave, or don't pay and stay. Like I don't. Where's the? Am I missing something there? No, I I don't know. They're they're probably trying to negotiate something out. But again, the Big Twelve can just be like, no, sorry, like you have to. Pay yeah, the whole and thing. that's that's the only angle the Big Twelve should take. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. 
And that's good for KU. They'll get money. Yeah, They'll get some of that money, right? So that'll be interesting because yeah. they're going to have to figure out a format for 14 teams next year and then 12 teams in another year after that. Yeah, but they the Big 12 officials, they they struggle anyways. So mm-hmm. I guess old regime. Maybe with Brett Yarmark, they're a lot better now. But, you know. Case of the Mondays for smaller schools being feeder schools for the big ones. This has obviously uh, been a big complaint about people with the transfer portal that it's just going to eat up the small schools. Players are going to use it to vault up to the big schools. And uh, nothing is more that than this. Grayson McCall, who I'm sure a lot of people remember from Kansas fame. Yes, uh, against Kansas when he was playing for Coastal Carolina, which he still is. He's been like a great player for them. He is entering the transfer portal. But here's the kicker. He's still going to play in the bowl game. Okay. So basically, I don't know how his teammates feel. Maybe they love him. They don't care. If I was a teammate and my teammate said, I'm transferring, but I'm going to play in the bowl, I'd be like, screw you. You're just using it as a showcase game. Is he graduate transferring? Uh, I don't know. Does he have another? I I don't know. I don't know. That, to me, that is the only scenario where I could see this being okay. Where he's like done with school. He's graduated. He's got his degree from... Coastal Carolina, whatever. He's graduating, and then he's, like, transferring. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, yeah, that, that would make sense. the most sense. No, I and to be clear, like, I don't have a problem with transferring or the transfer portal. I just, like, if you're going to go, go. You know what I mean? Like, why you know, are you sticking around for the extra game? You're just going to use it as a showcase. Instead, the team could be like, hey, maybe we can use this game to get our other quarterback who's going to have to start next year ready. Like, doesn't that seem like the better way to do it? I don't know. I, I That's suppose just so. Or maybe, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Last one. Uh, case of the Mondays, our show. Oh, um, what did our show do? Uh, well, well, we do a lot of A stuff. lot of people, actually, uh, here in the area. Chris Holtman, the Ohio State head coach. And this was actually posted by the Ohio State Athletic like Twitter account. Chris Holtman talks Ohio State hoops using momentum from the last second win over Rutgers, heading into Saturday's matchup versus the reigning national champion, UNC. I'm sorry, what? Oh, so I guess I we must have been watching the wrong game, oh. or um, is, maybe is, we stepped into the, an alternate reality. But, say, is the person that runs the Ohio State Buckeyes Twitter account, uh, are they in a different simulation than we are? Maybe they stopped watching at halftime, or maybe we just, we just have been wrong no, that's this a good whole point. time. No, they, they, they probably stopped watching at halftime. Yeah. So they're just, they've just been living their life the past eight months just <laughs> under the assumption that UNC won, uh. right? I mean, think about it. If you turn it off at halftime, of course UNC won. Yeah. Right? It's a no-brainer. No, but I guess if if he's right, if, if that's right, then we've been... Yeah, we're in shambles. We've been talking about KU being oh, the national so champs for, for a while now, so that's, that's so, unfortunate. Okay. Spin zone. Who... Okay. Actually, spin zone. What's to stop us from just saying we're the national champions every year? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Why can't we just, just have a national championship? titles cha- every exactly. year, right? Why can't we just have a national championship every year? Oh, go for it. We'll just have a parade. Yeah. I'll organize it. We're the sure. champs. We're the national champs every year. That'd just be kind of sad. It's How like, is it sad? You don't think that'd be sad, or is like you lose in the second round and you're like celebrating? Well, you wouldn't celebrate right after. You'd okay. wait until the national championship game, and then after the national championship game, you say, "Okay, we're the champs." Okay. No. You don't. don't like you don't it. like that? I don't. He's Nick Springer. Okay. I'm Derek Johnson. Well, I'll workshop it. Some more. That's our case of the Mondays. Switching gears next. Zakaya Franklin. KU point guard for the women's basketball team now ranked in the top 25. Going to join us next. This is RCST. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. And joined now by Zakiah Franklin, guard for the Kansas women's basketball team. Uh, just 
popped up into the rankings number 22 in uh, this week's rankings. W- was that a, a point of I don't know emphasis or, or conversation for, for you all last week or, or at any point through the course of the season? Uh, it was a little bit. Uh, we kind of just wanted to – we knew that we felt like we were one of those teams that could possibly be in the top 25. Uh, but, honestly, it was just uh, a thing that if it happened, it happened. Uh, we knew it eventually would, but we didn't, like, you know, focus that on each game or something like that. So, But was it used as, as extra motivation at all? Uh, really just trying to go into that Arizona game. We wanted to just focus on being uh, – putting the best Kansas women's basketball product out there and just play our game, play to uh, the scout and everything that we worked on prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you guys are ranked and, and ranked 22nd, obviously a big deal for the program, first time since 2013. Uh, it, obviously you don't over-focus on it, and there, there's still so many things in, in front of you guys that you want to accomplish, but but what does this mean for you guys to be ranked? Is it, is it exciting? Is it something you guys are, are – happy about what's kind of the the thoughts in the locker room uh it's definitely something that we're excited about uh obviously something that has been done in a in a while like you said uh but mainly our focus is still going into each practice and every day uh with the same mindset uh regardless of the ranking we do know that we have a bigger target on our back now but we just go into each practice with the same mindset and uh we're focused on the same goals that we have ahead well, last week was was certainly a, a big week for you. You mentioned the Arizona game. You guys win seventy seven to fifty, and that was a team that was previously unbeaten. Was ranked twelfth in the country. Um, followed up by twenty point win yesterday against Wichita State. And in the first game against Arizona, you wound up with fourteen points, eleven rebounds, five assists. Did kind of a little bit of everything, but obviously being more of a, a kind of uh, lead guard, shooting guard type, coming up with eleven rebounds. Is that something you take pride in that that you know you can do it in more than one way? I guess what went into to you grabbing that many? Uh, that's one of our uh, like toughness stats as far as like rebounds, and we focus a lot on boxing out, and we knew that that was one of the important stats in order for us to win the game. So uh, definitely, we focused on boxing out prior to that. A lot of boxing out drills, and uh, I was just able to I guess snag that many, and uh, it worked out good for us. Tayana had 19 and 15 in the game, followed up another big performance against Wichita State. What are some of the biggest areas that you've seen her game grow in this season and, and how much more comfortable she looks out there? Uh, uh, where I've seen her game has grown, uh, basically she's just much more of a scorer, like a aggressive scorer now, rather than just a, that defensive presence that she was uh, last year. She's uh, basically... Uh, receiving double teams now so that's definitely opening up a lot more for us on the outside perimeter but she's definitely uh has grown as far as the scoring aspect wise uh and yeah proud of her how how much does she help you you mentioned the double teams opening things up for you guys offensively uh I, i'd imagine she helps a lot defensively in what ways does she really help just just your individual role on the team uh, helps a lot. Uh, obviously, she receives double teams. Uh, it opens up more for other players. So whenever I can penetrate a kick or make just make the simple pass or a skill pass uh, to maybe Holly or something, uh, it opens up a lot for others as well as myself. You held Arizona in that first game to just five points in the second quarter. 
you, you hold them in the 50s for the game. You hold Wichita State in the 50s to, to 52 total. What have you thought about your guys' defense so far, and, and is that something that you guys take a, a bunch of pride in? Uh, we definitely take a lot of pride in defense. We do a lot of drills. Uh, it can kind of get repetitive, but in order to do that, to be the best uh, at something, you have to obviously perfect it and uh, work on it a lot. And we work on a lot of different uh, defensive drills. We feel like we're a pretty good ball screen team, one of the best in the country. Um, so, yeah, we focused on that a lot, and we know that defense wins games. We're talking with Zakiya Franklin here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um <laughs> Now moving forward ahead, you know, you just had a a big week, ranked opponent. You played two games in the course of like three days. Uh, Obviously not quite into Big 12 play yet, but did you feel like last week because of both the opponents and kind of the the quicker turnaround between two games, is that good preparation for Big 12 play? Yeah, that's great preparation for Big 12 play. Uh, Just the quick turnarounds that we have and uh, the caliber of the opponents that we uh, we're able to play against uh, it's very Big 12-like, and it also is uh, very uh, similar to like the tournament. So with the quick turnaround, like one-day preps or two-day preps, very similar, like you said. And you know, when when you look at these last, uh, I don't know, three, four games, couple weeks of play, you guys have really been blowing out a lot of these opponents. Does it feel like a, a switch got flipped a little bit, or that? Uh, something kind of happened a couple weeks ago that, that maybe makes it feel like you guys are, are really hitting your stride here? Yeah, most definitely. We know that this last stretch of games is very important. Uh, we got Nebraska coming up. we got Tulsa. Uh, it's very important right now. We, we Like you said, we're, we're kind of finding our stride a little bit, uh, trying to put the best product out there. Um, and, yeah, we're getting in a good rhythm right now. As a veteran point guard, uh, on the team how, how, in what ways have have you tried to uh help some of the the younger players or, or some of the new players kind of come around and, and how do you think they've done so far i think they're doing so uh good so far um some things that i try to like uh instill in them is like obviously we have blown out a couple of teams and uh we kind of just want to move forward from that and uh, focus on the next game and the next one ahead or whether it's in game or something, they make a mistake. It's uh next possession or next play, you know, keep your head up or something. Cause we all make mistakes, but you know, that next play is important. How important is getting a good crowd out to Allen Fieldhouse and, and having fans uh, behind you guys? It's extremely important for us. Uh, we talked about it a lot early in the season. Coach Brandon has definitely harped on about it, about the, you know, all of us as a whole, uh, the team, and basically our attributes as a team uh, coming out and supporting us and just giving us that support that's so important to us because it, we feed off that energy. And uh, we hope that we can, you know, grow our crowd as we go deeper into games, and especially when we get into Big 12 play. We're talking with Zakiya Franklin here. Uh, I got some fun ones to finish up with you here. Um, it is getting to that point of year where you know everything's cold, and uh, I know some people are very much so. Once we get to Christmas, they want a white Christmas. They want snow. You're originally from Florida. Do you prefer? Do you prefer for Christmas time it being, you know, warmish in in Florida, or do you prefer it out here where you get some of the snow? Uh, 
of course, I'm from Florida, so definitely I would prefer a warmer Christmas. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have a favorite all-time Christmas gift? All-time Christmas gift would be... Uh, I think when I was younger, I went to a uh, Harlem Globetrotters game with my mom and a couple of my uh, other family members. I thought that was pretty fun, pretty cool. So, How would you grade your rapping skills as far as rapping gifts <laughs> uh not not pretty good at it i will honestly say so i would say uh d minus i'm i'm probably an f so you're, you're doing better <laughs> than me uh last one do you have a favorite christmas movie favorite christmas movie is definitely the polar express okay that's a good one well zakaya Appreciate the time, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. That was Zakiah Franklin, junior point guard for the Kansas women's basketball team, now ranked 22nd in the latest AP poll, and uh, undefeated 9-0 and to begin the season with uh, a couple more non-conference matchups coming up before they get into the swing of things with Big 12 play, the always brutal and, and difficult Big 12 play. Honestly, I, I thought they would have been even higher than 22nd. I thought they were going to be ranked in the preseason, I thought that they would be ranked like around 22nd in the preseason. And then they started the season 7-0, and and it was like, wait, they're still not ranked 22nd. And then they beat number 12 Arizona on the road, an unbeaten team by 20, you know, 7 points. And then it was like, okay, they might jump into the top 15, and now they're only 22nd. Kind of weird. I don't know. Uh, but certainly, I guess they could still use that as, as a chip on their shoulder. But uh, fun, super exciting start to the season. You can head on out to Allen Fieldhouse to experience it yourself and um, you can get really good tickets that, you know, maybe you've never saw, sat as, as good of where you've sat for, for the KU women's games uh, or, or for the KU men's games to where you can get for the KU's woman, KU women's game for, for a little bit cheaper. And, and also they've been a really, really good team and, and exciting and fun to watch so far. So looking forward to continuing to chronicle the, the season that goes for the KU women's team coming up. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We uh, will switch gears. NFL Monday overreactions next. Back in to uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We, uh, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, have our KU Bowl games from the past. We're going to be looking at the uh, 1969 Orange Bowl. We also have some post-game audio from uh, Bill Self. We'll get to you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But it's that time on a Monday to overreact to what we saw in the NFL with our NFL Monday overreactions. Well, there was a lot to overreact to over the weekend. And we'll start with this. How about this? In the Texas battle, the Texans and the Cowboys, that was almost lost. So, because of that, are the Cowboys frauds <laughs> with Dak? Yeah, so they, they even won the game, but they, they could be frauds because of the fact that they I mean, it was the a, Texans. Yeah, so they need a last-second touchdown. The Texans touchdown. are unequivocally the worst team in the league. 100%. Are the Texans the greatest 111 and one team of all time? It's well, such an obscure record that I can't what, imagine there's exactly. a long list. See, I think that's the yes. key there is they might be the only 111 and one team of all time. <laughs> I don't know. Which therefore, therefore, by default, they are the greatest. Mm -hmm. okay. So I guess, I, I mean, if you frame it that way, they lost to a team that in their specific slot is the greatest of all time. There, I am going to take you into the future for a moment. I'm going to okay. tell you exactly what's going to happen to the Cowboys. They're going to be a wild card, obviously. Mm -hmm. They're not going to win the division. And they're gonna go. They're gonna go play at the eight and nine Bucks, who are gonna win the AFC South. 
and the eight and nine bucks are going to beat the Dallas Cowboys. That's what's gonna happen. So if you want to look at it from, the, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I've been to the future. I saw. I think that would. Make I them literally frauds. have teleported to the first week of January, whatever, 2023, and I saw with my own eyes the buck, the eight and nine bucks are gonna beat the Cowboys in the first round of the, of the playoffs. So you tell me if that makes them frauds. Yes, it does. Okay, then they're frauds. Is it a Dak Prescott thing or what? It's a Cowboys thing. Just a Cowboys thing. No I mean, matter it, who it you put it, out I mean, there. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Well, because I, I look along, I mean, they have a lot of talented players on the offensive line. They have, I don't know, one of the best, the best running back tandems in the league with Zeke and Pollard. Um, I would say the best. They have stud receiver in CeeDee Lamb. Like, he's not like a top five receiver, but he's still really good. He's a bona fide number one. Yeah, for sure. They signed T.Y. Hilton, which I don't know if that does anything <laughs> for uh, you. but a ton. Um, think about signing and then the defense Hilton. is like one of the I don't know top five in yes, the NFL easily certainly one of the best if not the best like defensive line pass rushes. What I don't understand with the Ty Hills the Ty Hilton signing is like he was fast that was his thing but now he's old so is he still fast or I don't know he's it's like Deshaun Jackson he's older he's not as fast but he still can beat you that's what Ty Hilton's gonna be these next five years oh man he'll just pop up randomly catching a deep ball the somewhere new once every other he week. just spawns in for yes. a team randomly I think that's the exact role there um no I don't think they're frauds I still believe in them to well I just told you what what's gonna happen and you think they're still not frauds I think they're gonna win if that happens then yes I think that would illustrate they are well I'm I, don't not, I don't expect I, I mean there is no if about it I'm telling <laughs> you that's what's going to happen no here okay. I've been there alternate universe which we could be in they win at tampa bay and then they okay. play philadelphia in the second round of the playoffs and they beat them and then what are we saying and then all of a sudden know. they're playing minnesota in minnesota in the nfc championship game and, they and we're lose. not picking kirk cousins picking but dallas then, but then they lose no and then they win they oh, beat okay. them by like 40 earlier and all of a sudden the cowboys are in the super bowl okay well that universe is not gonna happen i can tell you that <laughs> All right, enough, enough Cowboy talk. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to my favorite team. No, not the Kansas City Chiefs. The Detroit Lions. Oh. The Lions. Another big win for the Lions. Now, the, the only difference between the Lions and the Vikings is that the Lions didn't start the season that well, and the Vikings did. Is that an overreaction? Um, No, I actually don't think that is. The Vikings, they're, the same, they're the same team, just the just Vikings had a better start. start. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's fair. So, like, the Vikings... I mean, we, I mean we've chronicled it. The... the the Lions could easily be eleven and two. Like Correct. it's not even that far fetched to consider that they could have four or five more wins than what they have right now. No, it's really not. I mean the Vikings are sitting there at ten and three, but this has been this has been widely discussed and talked about around the NFL. The fact that the Vikings have one of the best records in the NFL, but they now have a negative one point differential. Like they're one of the worst okay, also, point differentials for teams uh, that good. Also, the Lions are plus two for what is it's worth. My, is my Kirk Cousins a Superman at noon take? Is that dead now? I think they it's just, just lost Superman in a and game. not big games. But is well, that they just a big played game? against the Lions know. at yeah. 12 o'clock and they lost. Well, he can't win every game. He can't. He's not going to go undefeated. <laughs> on. So well, they've only lost three times this season. I know, but in noon games, you're not going to win every single one. But yeah, I mean, you look at the Lions. They have gone five and one over their last six. And yeah, yep. like you said, I mean they, they're legitimately good. They, they lost a, by listen, four to Miami. They have a good they lost by three to Seattle. Lost by four to Minnesota in the first meeting. Three to Philadelphia in the season opener. They have a good running back tandem. They have a, a young receiver on Monroe St. Brown yeah. with some other pieces. 
They have a pretty strong defense that's pretty young with some good pass rushers. And they're led by Jared Goff, who is Kirk Cousins' light, basically. Right? Or maybe Kirk Cousins is Jared Goff light. Which one is which? He's just younger Kirk Cousins, I guess. Younger Kirk maybe Cousins. Maybe the way of putting it. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with this. The Vi- And listen, the Lions have an outside track to make the playoffs at this point. Mm-hmm. They really do. So the, the Vikings have played. Maybe another way of putting this, too, isn't just about the hot start for the Vikings, whereas the Lions started the year 1-6. and six. The Vikings just played a terrible schedule. It's also that you could just say the Lions are the Vikings, but worse in one-score games. The Vikings have played nine one-score games. Would you like to guess their record in those they're games? They're like 8-1. They're 9-0. Oh. Wow. Their three losses have come by 17, 37, and 11. Oh. Now, that means they only have one win that's not by single double, digits. It was their season digits. opener against Green Bay. Oh, yeah. Um, Detroit, that. meanwhile, is, let's see, minus 1, minus 2, minus 3, minus 4. So they lost their first four games of single digits. Then they've won their last two and then lost one. So the the Lions are two so and five in one score games. Okay. So yeah, if you make the yeah. Lions seven and zero in one that, score games, all of a sudden they're eleven and two. Yep. Yep. Just like yep. the Vikings, or uh, even game better than the Vikings. All right. Yeah. Not Trevor. Trevor Lawrence is better than Justin Herbert. Now we just kind of touched on this in the last segment, so I don't know what you're going to do about this. But is he better? Trevor Lawrence is better than Justin Herbert. Mm, no, I'm not willing to go there. This is a bit of an overreaction. But you think Justin Herbert sucks. But I, I am, I guess, in the, the low point of the Justin Herbert fan club. Um, Justin Herbert's still top 10 quarterback for me. Let me get that clear. I just okay. do not think he is close to sniffing right now that, that same tier as those top guys. But honestly, Trevor Lawrence is he's getting there, man. Is, he, okay, how about this? Is Trevor Lawrence Peyton Manning? No. What? No, that's even... No, you didn't know. I'm saying... You don't remember? Okay, have you never seen that? Peyton Manning in his first season with the Colts uh, yeah. threw like twenty-five interceptions and in one game. Peyton Manning is better than Justin Herbert, so why? No, but I'm saying over the course of his career, not right now. Oh, I, I still am going to go with no that he winds up being one of the I don't know five greatest quarterbacks of all time. But um, I definitely think it's that path in, in what you're talking about. I mean, yeah. he's had some really highlight games. The game he had against the Chargers. When they dominated Justin Herbert, was really good. The game a couple weeks ago against the Ravens, and he makes those game-winning throws. Yep. The Titans game, he was amazing. 368 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Yep. All of a sudden, over the last three weeks, against the Titans, Lions, and Ravens. So that's two playoff teams and one team who's kind of playing like a playoff team right now. He has about 850 passing yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. He is hitting a groove. He's making game-winning plays for the team. Um... If I, I mean, if we just want to do stack comparison, guy, uh, Justin Herbert, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Trevor Lawrence, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. Those are like right neck and neck with each other. Interesting. Completion percentage, Trevor Lawrence, 66%. Justin Herbert, 67%. Now, Herbert has like 500 more passing yards. But I guess I come away from this saying, yes, Justin Herbert is better, but it's closer than you would think. Okay, and sticking with the Jaguars... The Jaguars are going to win the AFC South. Is that an overreaction? <laughs> I do think it is an overreaction. They just put themselves in such a big hole, but I don't actually it's, think this it's is not, impossible. It's not that unreasonable. No, it's really not. So the Titans are two games ahead of the Jaguars right now. But here's who the Titans have left on their schedule. The Chargers, the Texans, and Dallas, and then they play Jacksonville the last week of the season. 
So obviously the Texans game, you you expect the Titans. But don't to they win always it. just get owned by the Texans? Well, okay, exactly. But then you got the Chargers in Dallas. So what if the Titans go 0 3 in those three games? Meanwhile, Jacksonville has they have to play Dallas too. Then they have the Jets and the and then the Texans also. And then they play Tennessee. So if the Titans go 0 3 or even 1 and 2 against the Chargers, Texans and Dallas and the Jags find a way to beat Dallas or the Jets, one of the if the if the Jags can win one of those two games plus the Texans and then they play the last week of the season, that last game could be for the division. It's not that crazy. No, it's not. But I, like I said, I'm expecting like a Justin Herbert stinker this week versus the Titans. Okay. I so think you're saying it's an overreaction. It is. I do think the Titans will win probably two more of those. And I don't think the Jaguars are going to win out. I mean, the, okay. the, they might lose the next two, honestly. So, okay. yes, overreaction. But I like the sentiment. Brock I don't think Purdy. It's Brock Purdy will win rookie of the year. <laughs> no, this is a big overreaction. What do you mean? How's that an overreaction? Because he's played one and, what, a quarter game? But think of the story, Derek. Mr. Irrelevant to Rookie of the Year. Like, all he has to, like, seriously, think about it. If the Niners go undefeated the rest of the season with, with Mr. Purdy, mm-hmm. what's to stop him from winning Rookie of the Year? It's, the not like we, it's not like we award these awards based off of what, you know, stats or whatever anyways. Yeah, we sort of do. Like... <laughs> How are you going to compare at the end of the day Brock Purdy playing in six games to like Garrett Wilson playing a full season for an upstart Jets team and having, you know, 1,100 receiving yards or Kenneth Walker rushing for 1,000 yards for a possible playoff team for the Seahawks? Well, the Niners are going to go to the Super Bowl. But I will say, to your point, Christian Watson did nothing until, what, two weeks ago? Yes. He is now tied second in Rookie of the Year. That's what I'm saying. Plus if the Niners go undefeated to end the year, and Brock Purdy has a couple games where maybe he throws for 300 yards and a couple touchdowns, I don't think it's that crazy. All uh, right, you know what? I'm in on this. Yes. I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think Brock Purdy is very good, and I think that he's... doesn't matter. Yeah, but you're missing the point. But that doesn't if matter. If it does happen, what you're talking about, then yes, it doesn't matter. This if is he's actually good more or not. possible than I first gave credit to. It doesn't matter if he's good or not. All that matters is they win all their games. It's a great story. He's Mister Irrelevant. I mean, think about it. Nothing would be better for the NFL than yeah. to have a story of Mister Irrelevant winning Rookie of the Year. So he has he has 461 yards, four touchdowns, two picks through his uh, first two games. He finishes the year with so you're looking at what four what, more like, games? Okay, if he finishes, finishes the year with like 1500 yards, yep. 12, 12, no, 12 touchdowns, touchdowns to four interceptions. Yep, yep, they win all of his games as starter. Yep, Rookie of the Year. I don't think he should win it at that point. Rookie but I think of the Year. Right, he would have a real chance. All right, the Bengals are going to win out. Rest of the season. Oh, man. I'm going to lean no. It's kind of a tough schedule. Yeah, they have a really tough schedule, actually. But, like, the way they're, they're playing. They're playing well, I guess. But I mean, you can easily Tampa. see them winning all of those four games. They're at Tampa. They're at New England. They're at home against Buffalo. And they're at home against Baltimore. Like, yeah, I think. I mean, you could argue they're going to be favored Tampa Bay in all those. Thanks. I don't New know England if they'll is be bad against Buffalo, but they could be. It's Buffalo, home. that should be a good game. And then Baltimore, at, at this point, it depends on Lamar Jackson. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, they could be favored in all four. So it's not I, that crazy. But you add them all up, and you're like, well, you could just have one letdown, or the Bills could just, you know, be play their A game, and you lose. So I'm going to say no. Okay. I'll say they go 3-1. The Panthers. They're going to win the NFC South with Sam Darnold. The Sam Darnold redemption <laughs> arc is coming, folks. It is coming. The Panthers are going to win the NFC South. Overreaction. Yes, it is an overreaction. What? 
We've done this like every time they've won a game. Have we? I think so. Well, it's just because the Bucks are so bad. They really are. They're so bad. Like, come on, Panthers. I mean, they're what? A game and a half back? No, just a they're game just back. a game right back. But they're they, one game they behind won them. The, the first matchup. They've already beat them once. They play them the second to last week of the season, uh, but it's in Tampa. So they play the Steelers this week at home. Very w. winnable game. W. Lions at home. Probably Point flip game. Probably yeah, a loss. Flip. At Tampa Bay and then at New Orleans. W. W. Three and one. So that makes them. That makes them eight and nine. Eight and nine. Are they going to beat the Cowboys in the first round? If it's the Panthers at home against the Cowboys. Yeah. Oh boy. Now you're pushing it. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't go into that. I didn't go into that future simulation. I only went into the one where it's the Bucks. I'll say slight overreaction. Okay. But I mean that was telling yesterday. The Bucks are bad, dude. The Bucks stink. All right. The Dolphins. They're gonna miss the playoffs. They're gonna go from. They're gonna go from potentially being a one seed last week to missing the playoffs. Overreaction. Um. Okay. So this is this is where you go into it. It's who are gonna be the teams in front of them. There's three wild cards, right? Clearly, the whoever loses the Ravens Bengals division in front of them, right? Probably. So that's yeah. one of the wild cards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Chargers, after beating them last night, have the tiebreaker. You could easily see the Chargers being in over them. Yeah. So now you just need to find one more team that makes it over them. The Jets. Well, if you think the Jets are going to beat them the next time, it's very possible. Um, if it's not the Jets, it'd probably have to be the Patriots, most likely. Basically, it would take, though, the Dolphins having a bad collapse here, but that's definitely possible. Look at the schedule. At Buffalo... Loss, loss, loss. Green Bay at home, I think a win. Probably but a win, but you never I guess, know. You know, Aaron Rodgers could mm-hmm. turn it on. At New England. Loss. Well, maybe loss. But I mean, New England, if they win that game, all of a sudden you are vaulting it's New gonna England be ahead of them. six inches of snow. Yeah. It's going to be cold. Loss. And then the Jets at home. I probably think realistically, eight. they're probably going two and two in that stretch. But so that would make them what? Ten, ten and seven, seven, which I think does get them in. So I'll say slight overreaction. Okay. But is it crazy if they they lost three of those four and go nine and eight and don't make no, it? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. It's, no, I, yeah, I'll, I agree with that. Uh, I do have one observation of the week. Okay, Mike White and Taylor Heineke are the same person. What's your logic behind this? Uh, they're both white quarterbacks. That's it. No, there's more. I just joking. Um, no, they have both you never are seen. Like, have you never seen them in the same stadium at the same time? Lucky backup quarterbacks who. Came from Listen, small schools, Western Kentucky and Old Dominion. I'm borderline willing to say that Heineke's a starting quarterback. Well, and, and that's what I'm saying. They're both playing well enough to make you think, I think they actually could be starters. And they're also, like, taking over for guys who... Who suck. Who are not good and yep. had high, I don't know, potential maybe is the word that you're looking, I'm looking oh, for there. Oh, boy, I don't know about that. <laughs> you're stretching you're and, the truth there. And then you're looking at guys, and like in both their cases, they're fun to watch. Like, you yes. know how you have certain backups? Taylor Heineke is awesome. You have certain backups who come in and they just check everything down. Like Chase <laughs> Daniel, right? They just come in. They're not going to mess anything up. They're just going to check everything down. It's going to be a very boring game. That's fine. Both Mike White and Taylor Heineke, they take risks. They yep. go for it. I appreciate that. That is NFL Monday Overreaction. That's it. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, our bowl game KU pass, whatever we're calling Ghost it. Ghost of KU Bulls pass. 1969 Orange Bowl coming up next. This is RCST. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got some Bill Self audio that we'll get for you after KU dominated Missouri 95-67. to 67. On well, that Saturday. sucks, Missouri. <laughs> Just everything was clicking for KU in the game. Offense great, defense great. KJ Adams game. Dewan was in control. 
Jalen and McCullough are both with over yep. 20 points. Yep, yep, yep. All worked. On the road. Just absolutely clowned on yep. those fools. KU's clicking. Last two games, won by combined over 50 points. Don't let them get hot. And uh, I guess we'll see more on Saturday against Indiana. You can hear that one here on KLWN. Pre-game will start at 9.30 in the morning. Early game. Tip-off at 11 for that one. Okay, continuing on with our series. Bowls of KU football passed with the 1969 Orange Bowl. So the first ever bowl KU played in was the 1948 Orange Bowl. Then they had the Blue Bonnet Bowl. And then they go to the Orange Bowl for their second time. And how KU got there. KU, after the Blue Bonnet Bowl goes under a little bit of a, a cold spell, so to speak. I mean, only like four or five years, so not really not that Yeah, bad. yeah, not nearly like what it had been the last decade before like this year. Yeah. Um, but they hadn't had a winning season between that Blue Bonnet Bowl and the Orange Bowl besides a 6-4 and four season in 1964. So, yeah, about like four years in between there. They had a season in 1966 uh, where they won zero games in conference play, then 67, they started to do a lot better, and then they came into the year. It was year two under Pepper Rogers. They were picked to finish fourth in the Big 8 Conference. They were unranked to start the year, and they came out, and they crushed Illinois, 47-7, to which Illinois was not ranked, but that was enough for people respected <laughs> Illinois enough, apparently, to move KU from being unranked all the way to number 12. Nice. Then they beat 13th-ranked Indiana, 38-20, to so Big Ten heavy start of the schedule. And then they jumped all the way to number 8. So they went from unranked to number 8 within two weeks with how impressive they were. 68-7 win over New Mexico, easy win there. And then uh, had a win over Nebraska. They were at number 9 Nebraska. They had just upset them the season before, and the Nebraska fans were like, we're getting revenge, we're going to beat you, you're high and mighty, you're ranked, all this stuff. They were up 13-9, to Nebraska was, with like five minutes left. And then they fumbled the ball. And Kansas ended up scoring two touchdowns late. They went 23-13. to That would actually be Kansas's final win over Nebraska till 2005. Man. So that's, hey, can, we, can we talk about Pepper as being the first name? Like, Peppa? That's awesome. Peppa. Pepper Rogers. Yeah. What a great name. I don't know if that was a nickname or his actual given name. I hope it was his actual name. So at that point, you're sitting pretty undefeated. They win the next 3-2 over Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Colorado, Uh Blew out the first two, and then the Colorado game a little closer, but still won by 13 points. And so that moved them into third in the rankings. And then they had their first loss. 27-23 to at home to Oklahoma. Otherwise, KU might have had a shot at a national title. Now, spoiler alert, they end up losing the Orange Bowl, so maybe not wouldn't have <laughs> mattered nonetheless. Um, bounced back from the Oklahoma game. They... Uh, after being ranked seventh from the lost, won thirty-eight to twenty-nine on the road at K-State. That sucks, K-State. And then they got the bowl invite before their season finale against Missouri. And that's so weird. I know it's very weird. So they got invited to the Orange Bowl, so they knew they were playing in it. But then they won over thirteenth-ranked Missouri just to add on on the road, twenty-one to nineteen. Well, that sucks, Missouri. <laughs> so they finished the regular season nine and one. They were ranked sixth in the AP poll. Very good team. Uh, Bobby Douglas was a Heisman candidate. He finished seventh. He had over 1,300 passing yards, 12 touchdowns. He had 495 rushing yards, which was third on the team. Led the team in rushing touchdowns with 12. And then you had, I mean, that team was was pretty low to, uh, on offense. They averaged 38 points per game. John Riggins had over 800 rushing yards. 
And again, these numbers don't sound crazy, but keep in mind that's in a ten game season, not twelve, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. also just different style of play back yep. in the day, less yep. plays. Donnie Shanklin had over seven hundred yards. Both those guys averaged over six yards per carry. And George McGowan, underrated here, a thirty-two catches for five hundred ninety-two yards. So he's getting like twenty yards a catch. Uh, John Zook was also an All-American on the defensive side of the ball. He was the team captain. So that got KU to the Orange Bowl. Um, and as I mentioned, they found out the week before the Missouri game. At the time, there's no like Twitter or ESPN that you can tune into. So they had like a thousand. There were like uh, the story that I read said there were over a thousand students who gathered in front of Strong Hall. To, to discover for sure. There were already rumors circulating that they were going to be invited to the Orange Bowl, and they waited outside, and they took the call, and they had, like, the loudspeaker and announced that <laughs> they were uh, going to be in the Orange Bowl. And they ended up having great attendance from both teams. There were over 77,000 um, fans in attendance to the Orange Bowl. It, it was seen as being a close game. It, it opened at even odds. It ended up closing line. Penn State was favored by half a point. Penn State came into the game ranked third. Kansas was obviously sixth. Um, Penn State had an outside shot at trying to win a title, but the teams who were ranked first and second were playing each other, so they would have had to just dominate Kansas and hope that was kind of an ugly game. Yeah, because this was obviously pre-playing like playing for the national title. Yes, because Penn State was undefeated at this point, so they would have loved for a playoff. Uh, so Kansas scored first. Mike Reeves had a two-yard rushing touchdown in the first quarter. Penn State tied it at seven and a half. It stayed that way into the fourth quarter. Penn State had a really good defense, as you can imagine. Like I said, Kansas was averaging nearly 40 points per game, and they were kind of held down. But Kansas took a late lead. John Riggins put Kansas ahead with a rushing touchdown to make it 14 to seven in the fourth quarter, and they kind of held him at bay from there. And Kansas had some opportunities to really put the game away, but they they just couldn't get it done. Um, later in the fourth quarter, Kansas had a fourth and one at the Penn State 14-yard line. They were up 14-7. to seven. They went for it, and they got stuffed. Wait, they went for it at their own 14? No, at the Penn State 14. Oh, Penn, okay, okay. But they could have kicked a field goal and yeah. made it a two-score game. Kick a field goal. And so I don't – this is – I mean, Dude, I obviously analytics, didn't through that. Analytics I, ruining the game. <laughs> I have no ruining idea. Ruining our proud <laughs> see, national pastime. I feel time. like analytics would actually say to kick that because it makes it a two-score game in the fourth quarter. But that I don't know. That, well, first of all, that doesn't fit my narrative. Second of all, <laughs> analytics ruining the sport. Well, but like, even in 1969, so I, I don't know. Obviously, I didn't watch that game. I have no idea if KU's kicker like sucked. But that was a 31-yard field goal. What are we? Two for two what are we? What are we know. doing? Um. So yeah, the interesting decision there. Wow. And the okay. head coach Pepper Rogers in the post game did say that he wishes he would have. You know what I'm learning it. just from just from doing this. Uh, some of these yeah. blast one pass that. Coaches have always been dumb. Always. <laughs> They've just always been stupid. Forever. Since the beginning of this of this game. <laughs> yeah, so that was unfortunate. But they still had another chance to win. It was 14-7. to There was a minute 16 left. At that point, KU was unable to run out the clock and get the first down they needed. So they had to punt. But they're punting from their own 25. They're figuring, hey, if we can pin them deep, you know, get them to their own 30, something like that, and then they have to drive the length of the field. I mean, this like is 1969. Surely they didn't have, like, a two-minute offense or anything, right? Yeah, probably not. But, unfortunately, the punt was partially blocked. Fortunately, it wasn't, like, fully blocked, so it still skidded its way to around midfield. But you still left them with kind of a short field with little over a minute left. First play of the drive, Penn State's quarterback's, like, scrambling around, and he hits the running back. Makes a long run, gets all the way down to the three-yard line. 
So now you're like, crap. Um, Bad. KU stops them on first and second and goal, though. So now it's third and goal. Penn State runs a bootleg in for a touchdown with 15 seconds left. That's a, so now it's 14-13. That's a disaster. You're going, hey, if they make the PAT, we're going to overtime. Or are they going to go for two? Joe Paterno immediately says we're going for two. Oh, wait, when did Joe Paterno become the pet coach of Penn State? At this point, he was, and for a <laughs> long time after. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. So, KU actually stops the, the conversion attempt. It was a uh, pass that was batted down in the end zone. Some Kansas fans actually started rushing the field. As they Unfortunately, should. As they should. A late flag was thrown because the refs had counted, and this was the right call. I mean, the you know, there's no controversy to it. Like the like the 1948 Orange Bowl, there's the controversy. Was he down? You know, did he cross the plane? All that stuff. Um, but this one, it, there was a 12th man on the field. So they get a redo of the play. The player who's who ended up being the 12th man on the field, this was a uh, RCST trivia question this past year, was Rick Abernathy. And they get a second two-point attempt, now a little bit closer, and they score it around the left end on a run. They win 15 to 14. Pain. Very much pain. Uh, KU wound up plus three in turnovers in the game. They were out yarded by 120. They had 70. They, I mean, this is tough. That's a great KU rushing team with Bobby Douglas and John, John Riggins. Riggins yep. They had 76 rushing yards on 59 attempts. Wow. Penn State's defense must have been yeah. elite. Yep. Uh, the 85 Bears before the 85 Bears. So they end up losing 15-14 to 14 on the, the 12th man. Uh, how about this? This little note from, this was one of the post-game stories. This was in the Altoona Mirror, which I believe is a uh, Miami-based. Okay. Uh, pay less attention to the uh, the quote so actually being saying, said here. Who's this is this? the head coach for KU, Pepper Rogers. Okay. Pay less attention to the quote. Pay more attention to the line written in between. You know how normally it says the quote, and then it'll be like, Rogers said, and then it finishes the quote. This is what the story wrote. I don't know what to say. He said as he tackled a piece of fried chicken. The last loss is the toughest, and the last win is the greatest. So imagine this. It's the post-game press conference after you lose a close Orange Bowl, and, and Pepper just, Rogers is just like just snacking going on some to KFC. Town on some KFC. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. Well, again, Derek, again, this okay, another thing we're learning here from past is that mm-hmm. previous air previous years of journalism, you had to be a little bit more descriptive. <laughs> there wasn't video. Uh, yeah. There wasn't video. Yeah, bring this back. Bill Self said as he chugged down a Coca-Cola or something. I don't know. Um, the aftermath of this game, I guess I'll start here. This is kind of interesting with Penn State. They finished 11-0 and that year with the win, but they didn't even win the national title or get a chance at it. Like I said, you had number one Ohio State playing number two USC in the Rose Bowl, and Ohio State beat them. Um, so Ohio State ended up winning the title. So Penn State ended up finishing number two. Penn State also played for the Orange Bowl the next season. They won again, this time beating Missouri. That sucks, Missouri. But also, that sucks for KU, too, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Kansas, obviously, that year to get to the Orange Bowl, they won the Big 12, or the Big 8, I'm sorry. Uh, they shared the title with Oklahoma, and that 1968 Big 8 title is actually the most recent conference title in football. Wow, that's sad. Yeah, that's very sad. Man, I until know. 2023. I know. Uh, they won just one game the next season, too. And then the next year, they so, won five. So, um, did, and then Rodgers so, left for UCLA. Did John Riggins and all those guys, was this their last season? It, it was for, like, Bobby Douglas. It was for a lot of the players, Bobby Douglas, John Zook. Uh, Riggins was just a sophomore this year. 
Riggins came back junior year, but the rest of the team wasn't as good around him. And then his senior year, they got a lot better, won five games, but they still didn't make a bowl or anything. Um, yeah. Man. Yep. So uh, tomorrow's bowl, we will be doing the Liberty <clears throat> Bowl. Not this year's Liberty oh, Bowl. Oh, nice. Liberty Bowl. I know yeah. that bowl. 1973. Oh, that was, was that not Liberty the Liberty bowl? bowl I was thinking of. Do you know off the top of your head who KU defeated or lost to? I actually don't know if they won or lost. Oh, boy. I really don't. Mm. Well, we'll find out. All right. Story story time with Derek Johnson. Yep. There we go. Tomorrow afternoon. That is our uh, bowl games of KU football past with the 1969 Orange Bowl. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We have some uh, Bill Self postgame audio. We'll get to you next. This is RCST.